Is it possible to know too much about the amount and types of adverse events that affect patients? Obviously not. After all, if one is serious about improvement and patient safety, it's important to have the fullest picture possible in order to continually evaluate whether existing efforts to reduce these events are working and whether new strategies are needed. At the same time, sensitive methodologies that detect a wide array of adverse events can overwhelm as well as enlighten dedicated improvers. The results may even obscure or dampen the zeal for real progress that is also being made in certain areas. So we're going to be taking a look at IHI's global trigger tool on this edition of WIHI, what it brings to the table for reducing adverse events, along with other measurement strategies. Welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, offered bi-weekly, and also for your later listening and convenience as a downloadable file via IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. Well, this is a timely discussion to say the least. Two days ago, the U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services and the head of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, Don Berwick, Kathleen Sebelius, announced a major national initiative to reduce what they called preventable all-cause harm rates by 40% by the end of 2013 as part of a new Partnership for Patients campaign. They also put in their reducing preventable readmissions by 20%. And with the publication of the third in a crop of recent studies demonstrating the sensitivity of the IHI Global Trigger Tool or something quite similar, the latest findings published in Health Affairs on April 7th, it's our intention today with our strong panel to make sure as much as possible facts are clear and that there's some sense of how to move forward, knowing more, not less, about adverse events that still occur all too frequently in hospitals today. And we also have a strong example on the program of how to harness this scale of knowledge. Uh, so we hope that will be helpful to you too. And I just want to say this is just the beginning of the education discussion and support IHI wants to offer with respect to deepening efforts to improve patient safety with the best information at one's disposal. There's no single approach or single solution, but better understanding the strengths and weaknesses and contributions of any tool being used is definitely critical to moving ahead. Let me now briefly introduce our guests and a reminder there are further details about each of them on the WIHI web pages, and I do encourage you to check those out. Dr. David Klassen is with us. He's an associate professor of medicine at the University of Utah and consults on infectious diseases. He's been a critical member of the IHI faculty over the years, and Dr. Klassen is the lead author of a newly published uh, study on the IHI Global Trigger Tool, uh, its effectiveness, uh, looking at some comparisons. This was just published in the journal Health Affairs, the April issue. Welcome, David. Thank you. Okay, great. Roger Resar is the second author in this study. He, too, has been a vital member of IHI's faculty for many years. Roger is currently a senior fellow at IHI. Welcome, Roger. Thanks, Madge. Terrific. We're very fortunate to have Kathy Hegg with us. She's the Corporate Patient Safety Officer at OSF Healthcare System in Illinois, and they've been successfully using the trigger tool for years. Welcome, Kathy. 
Hi, thanks, Madge. Terrific. And a big thanks to IHI Vice President Andrea Capsonell, who allowed me to draft her uh, for this program so she could make some important connections uh, between problems and solutions by way of IHI's improvement map. So let's get started. And again, if you're just joining us, and I do some, see folks are still just getting logged in, this is WIHI, and we've got a full agenda on effective ways to detect and reduce adverse events. So I'm going to start with Roger Resar. And Roger, it would be very helpful. Um, I'm sure there's different levels of experience and knowledge, so we'll just try and get, get some of this out of the way fairly quickly. But if you could give us a brief refresher for some, or a primer for others, of the basics of the Global Trigger Tool, why it was designed, its purpose, uh, et cetera. Let's start there. Thanks, Roger. Uh, Sure, I'd love to. Uh, Madge and and listeners, uh, the Global Trigger Tool is not new. Uh, We've been uh, testing and designing uh, elements of this tool now for almost a decade. Every aspect of the tool that uh, is available as a kit has been designed, it's been tested, the definitions have been discussed, and the end result is uh, what we hope is a clearly articulated, non-vague sense of terminology that uh, proposes a methodology to measure adverse events in a hospital. Now, the reason it's clearly articulated with as much non-vague terminology as possible is we wanted to enhance training and enhance competency testing. If uh, the definitions are vague or if it's not clearly articulated, training and testing for competency in the use of this tool will be very, very difficult. Now, we started this, as I said, almost a decade ago. This was started not as a global trigger tool, but rather as a tool for segments of the hospital. The ICU, for example, or the medication delivery system, or the perinatal area, to name a few. After we had a lot of experience with these segments in the hospital, around about 2003 or 2004, it became obvious that by putting these segments together, we could create a global trigger tool. Now, global is a slight misnomer because it does not include those patients under 18 years of age, it does not include mental health, and it does not include those whose stay was less than 24 hours. That can be discussion points, but during our testing and design, we found that these three areas presented fairly difficult issues that could not be easily contained in the tool, and so these have been left off. The tool basically uses a two-step approach to review, that of a primary reviewer, usually a non-physician, and then a secondary reviewer that reviews the consensus or the results of the primary review. This is much like it was done in the Harvard Medical uh, uh, Study. We look at this tool as an ability to gather small samples over time using statistical process control methodology, which will allow a hospital to measure its rate of harm uh, over time, or the tool can be used in a large sample screening, which is what uh, was done with the uh, paper that was recently published in the Health Affairs Journal. 
What I would like to end with in terms of my description of the Global Trigger Tool is that the design and the definitions that we use were not made willy-nilly, but were made with understanding what it takes for the front line to be trained and to use this tool over time in a reasonably consistent and easy manner. And we think that we have accomplished this. So uh, what you're going to hear about today are some of the specifics of the Global Trigger Tool beyond the initial design. Back to you, Madge. All right, Roger. Couldn't be clearer. Thank you so much. Uh, and uh, we'll uh, circle back to you, I'm sure, for some additional comments and then uh, questions a little later. Just a reminder, Jesse McCall nicely put up there the link to the uh, second edition uh, white paper on IHI's Global excuse me, global Trigger Tool. Uh, if anybody has just joined by phone today and isn't connected to the computer, uh, all our resources uh, can be we collate them for every WIHI with a resource document that we post the day after our program. If you're really, really itching right now, though, you're very itchy feet. If you go to IHI.org right now and look under results and then white papers, uh, you can find this as well. You can also do a search. So I uh, just want to make sure that people realize that anything that we reference today uh, will make sure that you have access to it. Okay, David Klassen, I'm going to turn to you now. David has the unenviable task of trying to uh, take uh, a season of studies here. I've asked him. Uh, he's, he's the lead author in the most recent one. Uh, two preceded in the New England Journal of Medicine and some very important work that was do done by the Office of Inspector General at Health and Human Services. So what I've asked David to do is help us understand kind of what, what we're f learning. Uh, I don't care if you go forward to back or backwards to forwards, David, but what are we learning from these uh, studies individually and taken together? Thanks so much. Uh, thanks a lot, Madge. Um, and it's a pleasure to be here. Um, what we're going to talk about is the studies that have been published on the Global Trigger Tool. Uh, and I might start by saying, as Roger said, this is not a new tool. This tool is an updated version of the Harvard Medical Practice Study, uh, which is really, we don't have a gold standard, but about as close to gold standard for detection of adverse events is medical record review. And that remains uh, in all the studies that we've done. And uh, there are now more than about 20 studies, peer-reviewed studies, published on uh, trigger tools that IHI has developed, whether they be in the drug area, whether they be in the pediatrics area, whether they be in the ICU area. So uh, these three latest studies merely add to an awful lot of studies that have now been published. And there have been a number of methodology studies published that have looked at the um, uh, rigor of this methodology and looked at its inter-rater reliability, et cetera. One was published in Health Services Research. One was published in Journal of Patient Safety. So this is not a new approach. And now there is, a, a, I think, a large body of literature about using this tool to uh, measure, if you will, adverse events in hospitals. And the three most recent studies are the ones I'm going to focus on. Uh, the first of those was uh, one done in um, the Medicare population and published by the Office of the Inspector General of the Department of Health and Human Services. This looked through about almost 800 uh, medical records um, uh, from Medicare patients across the country and found that adverse 
events were found in about 27% of those patients. Uh, they found that uh, about half of them were uh, more permanent and serious harm, and about half of them uh, were uh, temporary harm, but harm nonetheless. And in that study, they found that the leading categories of problems for Medicare patients were medications, surgery and procedures, uh, and infections. Um, and I think they also found that um, about a little over a quarter of the patients experienced more than one adverse event, uh, and many of these were what we call cascade events, where they uh, started with less severe areas and moved on to more severe. So uh, I think that study was the second study done in Medicare patients. The first study, a more small pilot study, showed adverse events in about 30% of Medicare patients. That study was followed by another regional study in hospitals uh, published in the uh, New England Journal of Medicine last November, um, and that used a very similar methodology, um, and it studied about 20 2,341 uh, hospital admissions from primarily community hospitals um, and found uh, harms or adverse events uh, in about 25% of admissions. Uh, and in that study as well, their breakdown of temporary versus more severe harm, temporary caused about 40% of the harm and more severe harm uh, caused about 60% uh, of the adverse events in that study. And once again, in that study, uh, when you look at the areas of uh, problems, you once again find that medications um, and uh, procedures um, and infections are a leading cause of harm. And then finally, the most recent study um, that we have published in Health Affairs found uh, a, a study of about 800 uh, patient discharges from three uh, primarily tertiary and quaternary hospitals across the United States, found adverse events in about a third of the patients, um, and uh, the breakdown of those adverse events, once again, what was about a little less than 50% uh, being uh, more serious harm and a little over 50% being temporary harm. And once again, the categories of harm really broke down. Medication, surgery, and procedure-related nosocomial infections were once again uh, the top categories of harm. So I think all three of these studies together show um, uh, a rate of adverse events of anywhere from about 25% up to almost a third of patients in hospitals, um, and the same basic categories of areas, medication, procedures, and uh, infections. And what the most recent study also did um, the one in health affairs would say, well, in the same group of patients that we studied, how well did other leading methods of detecting harm, uh, detecting adverse events perform? And uh, in the most recent study, we also looked in the same population at local voluntary reporting systems. These are systems that these three hospitals have put a lot of effort in. Um, and out of about uh, a total of um, 393 um, uh, uh, events, uh, the IHI Global Trigger Tool detected about 90%, the, the hospital's voluntary reporting system detected about 1%, and then we also looked at administrative coding, which is also a method that a lot of places have used to measure the safety of hospitals, both hospitals themselves as well as uh, private uh, sector as well as public sector, and we use the ARC patient safety indicator 
indicators uh, because they were one of the most common methods used. Now, ARC does not endorse this as an overall measure of safety, but many in the industry use it, so we were interested in it. And we found that the uh, ARC patient safety uh, indicators when used to measure harm picked up about 9% of the events. So clearly, I think uh, in all three of these studies, and especially the last one, uh, the uh, IHI Global Trigger Tool seems to pick up more of these events than most other methods that we commonly measure. And uh, I think that's very relevant because uh, an exciting new development in, in the world of the Global Trigger Tool is that we have successfully automated this uh, tool in a large health system within their electronic health record system. Um, and uh, that particular uh, uh, successful pilot and proof of concept has actually moved us from focusing on these events after the fact to detecting them in real time, allowing us to see them in real time and intervene in real time, not only to prevent them potentially, but also to, uh, to mitigate them or ameliorate them. And this proof of concept has shown that a broad tool to measure adverse events, such as the IHI Global Trigger Tool, when built into an electronic health record system, may actually change our perspective on safety a whole lot and give us an ability to impact a whole lot more of these events than we have to date. So that, that's a very exciting development, I think, in this area. And I think where we're going to go from here is hospitals using this tool to actually measure their whole rate of adverse events and then intervene to reduce them. And many health systems have actually used that, both in the U.S. and abroad. So, Madge, I will turn it back to you All right. well, uh, so we can move on. Terrific. Well, thank you, David. That was really, really helpful. And, and just a reminder that uh, Jesse, again, just put in... Uh, you can find uh, a link to the study, recent study in Health Affairs. Uh, again, we'll capture and remind everybody of where you can get links to all the research to date. Uh, David, you, you rightfully pointed out that there have actually been even many more studies uh, when looking uh, at different aspects of the trigger tool applied to pediatrics, et cetera. So I'm glad that you reminded us of that. So let's do this. We're going to now turn to Kathy Haig. And what's really important uh, to my mind among other things with with Kathy being here is that um, at OSF they've been uh, successfully using this tool uh, not only this tool but using this tool as part of an integrated strategy uh, for quite a while and that's why I really wanted Kathy to try and explain that to us uh, and and also in in a few minutes um, so we'll we'll give you five and Kathy thanks so much for being part thank you Madge and good afternoon everybody. Um, OSF, like Matt said, we have seven healthcare facilities in our system um, throughout Illinois and Michigan, and all of our seven facilities have been using the Global Trigger Tool since uh, 2004. And what we do is, I'll, I'll kind of repeat some of what Roger had to say, we audit 20 charts randomly selected. We pick every fifth discharge monthly at each of our OSF facilities to identify um, adverse events using the Global Trigger Tool. This monthly data is then submitted from each operating unit to the corporate office where it's entered into uh, an access database that we created. Um, these rates are then reported quarterly to the board and we have um, two, two different measures that we use as uh, a safety performance measure for reporting to the board. One of these measures is the rate of global harm events times a thousand patient days and then from those global harm events that we've identified each month and submitted into the database 
case, we pull from that the F or greater adverse events and give the board a rate of F or greater adverse events times 1,000 patient days. Um, as I said, we started this process in 2004, and when we started um, the Global Trigger Tool, um, the global harm rate was 73.22 per 1,000 patient days. Um, as of December 2010, that number has come down to an average of 32.66 per 1,000 patient days, and that's system-wide. Um, there's little variance among our individual facilities, but we do also look at it from a system perspective, and the numbers I just quoted you are from the system. In the effort greater events, we started at 59.63 per 1,000 patient days, and um, we're dent down in December to 20.17 per 1,000 patient days. Now, so far in 2011, year-to-date, we're at 17.10 per 1,000 patient days, but it's early. It's early in that period. I think one of the important things I wanted to share with you is some of the other benefits gained from the Global Trigger Tool. Um, each of our facilities uses it just a little bit differently, but I can say in general they use it as an adjunct or a support to their other means, um, their other adverse event or occurrence reporting. It's, it's a support um, to identify where their opportunities lie and in some cases, to justify performance improvement teams. A couple of examples are at one of our facilities, we went over two years of um, aggregate events to try and see where our opportunities lie at that particular facility. And what we found is that we were seeing readmissions coming up as a frequent event. When we dug deeper into readmissions, we found that they were congestive heart failure readmissions. And this led to two different Six Sigma teams, um, one of them to evaluate the inpatient manager of care provided to the patient specific to heart failure, um, and then a second team to focus on the rest of the continuum, the information provided by um, the physician's office, the education provided to the patient, where that education was provided, the home care setting, um, the ability for the patient to get their meds, and it was so valuable. This group even set up... Um, a support group in town that had, had not previously existed. So we're very, very proud of that work. And then several years later, that was at one of our facilities, several years later, that particular project went system-wide um, from our cardiology group. So we're, we're very proud of that work. Another um, side effect that we saw from this was on the medication administration project. Again, one of our hospitals was looking at the med administration process at each step of that process, and they made some revisions. So they used the Global Trigger Tool as an audit tool. And what they found, um, their results was that they went 11 months without an ever greater adverse drug event. And so this was useful to them as a way of monitoring the effectiveness and success of their actions. And it was an additional tool used to validate other audit results that they were doing with this improvement activity. Um, we've also um, it had two performance improvement teams um, from two different hospitals related to falls um, that we've seen as a commonality uh, of a global harm event that we were seeing in two particular facilities. Another facility used it to support work they were doing to reduce catheter-associated urinary tract infections. So as you can see, um, 
every hospital that we have uses it, yeah. maybe just a little bit differently mm-hmm. and maybe for different purposes, but they do support their opportunities um, to help them to identify their opportunities. Um, it's one tool with others that will help them with this. And um, I think the other thing that I wanted to say is that the operating units do use these events to assure that they're being addressed. They don't just identify them, but perhaps they're forwarded on to a department review or to a nursing peer review or to a physician peer review. Um, so, okay. oh, and to echo uh, yeah. David's comments, I am absolutely thrilled about the process of automating this. <laughs> um, it can be labor intensive. It can be time consuming. We've put a, a time limit of 20 minutes per record to try and combat that. I'm absolutely thrilled about the potential of, of automating this so that we can see these in real time. And we also looked at our commonalities, and, and like David said, you know, we also saw readmissions, infections, and med-related events. So thank you for the time. Oh, wow. Okay. I bet people will have a bunch of uh, questions for you as well, but that's very, very clear and helpful. Um, Andrea, I'm about to turn to you, and I want to just, Roger, maybe I'll, I'll flip this back to you just very quickly. Can you remind everybody when we're talking about this alphabet here of E through I, what we are discussing. Uh, Kathy sort of broke it out also talking about F through I. Just, Do you mind doing that just quickly? No, that would be very simple to do. Uh, the the uh, idea came from a classification uh, system uh, called the Merck Index. Uh, and it, what it does is it says, uh, and we used a piece of it, in which uh, actual events occurred, E through I. E would be an event that caused temporary harm that required some kind of intervention or monitoring. And F is an event that either caused the initial admission to the hospital or prolonged the hospital stay. A G uh, causes a a permanent harm. And H uh, relates to uh, life-threatening harm, something that required an intervention in order to save someone's life within an hour or so. And I represents uh, uh, an event that contributed to a death. Okay. So it's a very simple and easy to teach uh, scaling system for the uh, uh, severity of the harm uh, that we use to break out uh, the events that are actually uh, surfaced during the Global Trigger Tool. Okay, very good. Thanks so much, Roger. All right, I'm going to bring Andrea Capsonell in here first, and I, I we're at the half-hour mark, and if you can just hold on for a few minutes uh, for questions, I do want uh, Andrea to kind of give you a sense of what our improvement map uh, has to do with all of this. That's very important because we're about uh, learning and solutions here. And I also do want to say at this juncture that our guests can uh, hang around for a little bit after the top of the hour uh, should we have a fair number of questions. Uh, This is a complicated issue, and uh, as we often do on WIHI, we just try and do the best flyover that we can. We think that does serve a purpose, but we do recognize that people sometimes have a lot of questions and comments, and we'll do the best we can with that today. So uh, without further ado, Andrea, thank you for joining us, and uh, Jesse, uh, whom you often work with on this improvement map, will kind of slide in some of these slides uh, as you're talking, okay? Sure. Thanks, Madge. I'm really delighted to have a chance to, to talk about a way to do something once you understand using the Global Trigger Tool or others 
where your challenges are. After all, uh, Kathy didn't uh, uh, have the success that they've had in reducing adverse events just by using a trigger tool. She actually went out and did something. The old proverb goes, you can't fatten a cow by weighing it. And what I want to talk about is something that I know everyone on the on the call has already done, which is work really hard to reduce adverse events. And I'm going to talk about the improvement map, which is just one more tool, but I think a pretty effective one that allows you to take what you learn from your studies of where problems and, and potential harms are and do something about it. To reach the improvement map, you go to itai.org and click on the improvement map logo, and it will take you to the improvement map page where you can launch the improvement map. Now, this is an interactive web-based tool that ITI created with the help of a lot of experts, probably a few people even on the phone. It's open to everyone, and it's um, designed to offer the basic information and resources that you would need to excel in all of the processes that hospitals need for excellent performance. Um, and, of course, in there are a great number of things related to safety. When you go to the improvement map, which we'll do now, um, you'll see that you have a choice of how to search the map. And if you search by aim on safety, you will come to a list of processes that um, a hospital needs to do well with in order to get terrific results. Um, and here I searched by the safety aim, and then I looked for just the patient care processes. And you can see that there are a list of processes here um, that give you a decent amount of information. Um, if you search another way, you'll see these little thumbnail sketches that give you an overview of each of the processes that are important. And you can see here we have everything from early warning systems to hand hygiene, and we even have some related to what the leaders do to help um, make healthcare safer, particularly in the hospital in this instance. Um, once you um, click on one of these uh, processes, you um, can see much more detail, which is really the, the part that you need. And there are three tabs that give you information about the elements that um, are important for making progress, in this instance, on high alert medication safety. You'll also get all kinds of information about the difficulty in putting this process in place, the cost, the time it takes, and even the level of evidence behind it. Um, if you go into the um, resources tab, you'll get a whole list of places you can go on the web with links that are live that will give you tools, um, access to mentors, and um, people you can talk to so that you will be in a position either to start working on this process if you haven't already, or if you're already there and are looking for some new ideas and more progress, people have used the improvement map to do that as well. One more thing that you can do if you find that you have a great many uh, challenges and you don't know where to start, you can use the improvement map to sort through and, and start with the ones that are the least costly or the, um, or the least difficult so that you can make a map for yourself 
that takes you to many fewer adverse events and reduced harms. I think I'll stop there because I'm sure there are many questions that people have. Okay. Thank you so much, Andrea. That's really uh, helpful. And again, all of that is on the website. And uh, we do hope people will take advantage. So, you know, we're trying to combine. I think a lot of, you know, we've got uh, powerful research and I think the research is going to continue. And I think we've got a lot of uh, discussion, some of it lively and uh, and, and intense uh, about, um, you know, how research is designed. Designed and the methodologies and what we're learning, but I think people would agree that there's some bottom line issues here, and there's quite a, wor- a lot of work uh, to be done. Uh, however, uh, y- you discover that. So, what I'd like to do now is I'm, I'm going to uh, have Jesse remind everybody um, about the chat function and uh, how to start getting in your questions and comments, and we'll try and roll through uh, all as many of them as possible. Don't forget when you're on chat, if you want, uh, if you see something that somebody's asking uh, and you feel like answering it, uh, don't don't hesitate. We don't mind uh, discussion sometimes going on there simultaneously, and I will do my best to moderate. Thanks, Madge. So the chat room is now open for everyone to contribute their questions or comments uh, to our discussion. When you are chatting, please select all participants from the send to menu. So drop that menu down and click all participants. That's going to ensure that everyone on our program can see your question or comment, and we can all get in this together. So we did have some questions come in while uh, Kathy was speaking. And um, Kathy, people are interested to know how many um, hospitals are in your organization or system. And then how many FTEs do you have dedicated to reviewing the records and how many records per quarter? So a bit around your process of of review there. Sure, thanks. Um, We have seven hospitals in our system. Um, Six of them are in Illinois, and one of them is in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And um, we don't... the, um, The process of reviewing, we review 20 records a month, And like I said, they're randomly selected. We pull every fifth discharge until we get like 20, 22 records, something like that. We usually pull a few more, um, you know, just in case for whatever reason. We also make it a requirement that the length of stay is at least two days. So that eliminates those one-day length of stays, okay? So they have to be there at least a length of stay of two days. 20 charts randomly selected by pulling every fifth discharge, and we do this monthly. Um, as far as uh, FTEs, you know, usually this uh, function is rolled into um, a person's role with other functions. It's not the only thing that they do. Um, gosh, I would say... Like I said, 20 charts, eight uh, or 20 charts with 20 minutes a chart. That's 400 minutes. 60 goes into 400. You know, so we're saying like you know five hours, six hours a month. Okay. All right. Well, that's a pretty good estimate. Uh, just maybe uh, th- thank you, Kathy. And before we move on to some more questions, uh, either David or Roger, uh, maybe you could just reflect a little bit on the res- the question of sort of how resource intense this is, and kind of the general feeling out there about you know being able to manage this and uh, in your organization. Um, without a lot of additional resources and time. Can either of you, let me start with you, David. Or, or even better to go, Roger, because I can talk about the resource requirements once you automate it. So, Roger, you want to talk about the okay. paper case? <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure. yeah, go ahead, Roger. Yeah, sure. 
In, in general, uh, we have been recommending that you use two primary reviewers and one secondary reviewers, although some hospitals do this a little differently, and that's uh, certainly uh, allowed. Uh, each reviewer, a primary reviewer, is going to take about two hours uh, for 10 charts. Uh, and so that's, that's looking at um, uh, four hours uh, uh, every two weeks. The secondary reviewer, which is the physician reviewer, uh, ends up being minutes because they just review a consensus. So the, the hours that uh, Kathy gave, about five hours uh, for chart review per month to review uh, uh, 20 charts per month or 10 charts every two weeks. Uh, that's, that's about what we recommend and uh, uh, it's about five hours a month for the two primary reviewers. Okay, thanks Roger. Thank you and so much. Go ahead, Kathy, go ahead. Yeah, huh? I just wanted to add to this a little bit. You know, we find enough value in this tool that I'm trying to figure out how we can review more. And it's, it, it goes back to what David had to say um, about finding these things out in real time so that we can prevent and or mitigate the, you know, we can mitigate the events. So um, I, I think one of the downsides that we see is like, wow, only 20 charts when you have many more discharges than that. Okay, thanks so much. All right, um, we're going to, in just a minute, we'll talk a little bit about a number of questions that people are asking about for different areas of healthcare as well as different settings, including ambulatory. But, uh, David, definitely some questions here. You piqued various people's curiosity here. Who's got the goods on <laughs> automation and electronic health record, uh, if, if you're able to say, or if you can shed any more light on uh, where, where might we look for uh, the standard bearers here? Um, so uh, there are two heroes from the Automate, the Global Trigger Tool Project, at least two heroes uh, on the conference line. Uh, one is Dot Snow and the other is Mark Monroe. They're both from Kaiser, and that's the health system that has automated the uh, Global Trigger Tool within their electronic health record. And they have done it themselves and done an absolutely wonderful job. And I think uh, when you see what's been accomplished, it, it markedly expands your view of why it's important to track all harm, not just the most serious events, because a lot of places are tracking and only studying the most serious events and trying to use that to base their patient safety strategy and uh, to, to predict who might get in trouble. Once you do it real time, it just opens up a completely different view, and uh, Mark Monroe and Dot Snow are two, at least two of the heroes on the call who have accomplished this, and it is possible to look at all patients in the hospital uh, with that particular approach and can be done with uh, uh, perhaps a half to uh, three-quarters of an FTE and roughly 150-200 bed hospital. So uh, uh, I do think that is the future, and there are many who believe that the federal government, as part of its meaningful use requirements, should begin to build this type of incentive into meaningful use so we can actually use uh, EHRs, electronic health records, to markedly uh, uh, improve our not only our, our prevention but also our detection and mitigation. And I think that project uh, that DOT and Mark and others are involved in has really opened our eyes about why it's important to study all harm, not just what's viewed as scientifically preventable or what's viewed as serious at the moment, because once we move into this new realm, we'll be able to attack it all. 
Thank you so much, David. And um, this, of course, seeds the thoughts about uh, a future uh, WIHI that we can uh, put together at the right moment uh, when there's a, perhaps a, an ability to really talk about this more fully. But thank you for at least uh, getting that uh, out there uh, um, in, into the ether here uh, so people are, are aware of that. Because I know that's been on people's minds quite a bit, particularly as folks are working very, very hard on their electronic health records and getting up to speed there. So we have a couple of questions and maybe this needs to, I'll, I'll, I'll let you, you, uh, David and Roger know each other very well, so maybe you can, you know, continue to help me who should uh, take which question, but what about the ambulatory setting? Uh, there's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're talking more and more about patient safety in the outpatient setting and somebody is wondering about the applicability of the of trigger tool for that setting. And, it, and, and by the same and token, we're also talking about nursing homes and home care, etc. Sure, yeah. sure. Well, Madge, I can start with that. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of work done in the ambulatory space with an ambulatory trigger tool that has not only been highly developed but built into the operations of an organization. It's been done by Don Kennerly and his colleagues at Baylor Health System. They have really, I think, led the way in not only further evolution of an ambulatory trigger tool but how you build it into the ongoing operations of their system. And it's such important work that I I think it probably should be the focus maybe of a, a future uh, uh, webinar in and of itself because they've moved so far in the development of this and this is an area ambulatory safety where we know very little the AMA has commissioned a big study in this area uh, and 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 the work that's been done is still fairly embryonic and primitive and yet we know there's an awful lot of harm that occurs in the ambulatory setting we just don't have a lot of good study. So, so I think uh, Baylor has really, Health System in Dallas, and Don Kennelly and colleagues have really led the way in uh, where we can go with this. Okay. And, and um, I don't know, Roger, would this be something in terms of, uh, is there any reason why uh, this, this could not be helpful in either nursing homes or sort of looking at home care? Uh, maybe you can help us think through that. Roger, are you there? There's no limit to how you can use the tool. It's just that certain settings require certain designs. So for example, in the outpatient setting, you don't have necessarily a single hospital visit. Uh, uh, you have a single clinic visit, which does not lend itself to a global trigger tool type analysis. And so what we've done in the ambulatory area is say, Let's look at all visits over a one or two year period. Let's define things a little bit differently, but it's the same principle of looking for triggers, then examining the chart for those triggers, and then determining whether adverse events have occurred. In addition, we have been working with people in the area of mental health. We have been working with people in the area of radiology. Uh, uh, we've been working with uh, nursing homes and long care uh, and long-term care facilities, all of which have unique design requirements, but use the general principles of the global trigger tool. 
Okay, thank you very much. Uh, again, uh, this is WIHI, and we're talking about adverse events and reducing them and improving uh, patient safety. I have a question. Um, I don't know. Maybe um, I'll sort of throw this out to the group and whoever would like to answer it. Uh, is there what What's the significance, would you say, of the new federal initiative, the Partnership for Patients? Uh, that is just hot off the press this week, announced by HHS and CMS. And do you feel that this can uh, maybe spur on um, some of the, the change that's needed here? We've, we've really sort of put up some very, very uh, important areas that are, you know, for reduction of, of harm. Uh, David or Roger or even Andrea or Kathy, anybody? All right. Stump the stars here. <laughs> David? David, David, start. Okay, go ahead. I'll start. Uh, the initiative, as announced this week, is going to be focused on two things. Um, one is reducing uh, uh, adverse events or harm that occurs to hospitalized patients. So I would say that the issue we're discussing here will become very, very important as that initiative rolls out. The other uh, issue is reducing hospital readmissions. And uh, I think that's intimately related here as well. Studies that I have done have found that when you experience an adverse event in a hospital, you markedly increase your risk of readmission in the next 30 days. So I think both of them are going to be tightly related. And I think what we're waiting to see uh, from this new HHH initiative is how they're going to measure uh, the harm and how they're going to build it into their reimbursement changes as part of their ongoing effort to tie reimbursement to uh, performance. But I think we know that safety is going to be a major focus uh, as that moves forward. So I think it will put a lot more pressure on organizations to begin to focus on not just the most severe episodes of harm, but all harm, uh, and better ways to track it and better ways to reduce it. Okay. Roger, you want to Roger, add, add to it? Yep. No, I think David has, uh, has summarized it reasonably well. Uh, remember, the Global Trigger Tool uh, has very tight and specific definitions, uh, and that's for the purposes of training and testing competency. As we get into uh, areas where you're thinking about preventability versus all harm, or you're talking about specific areas of the of the uh, hospital in terms of the segments of harm, uh, segments that cause harm, then we may require some adjustments to the definitions. But no, I think it's it's fantastic the way a segment of harm is being tackled. Okay, very good. Thank you so much. Uh, we have a nice, uh, interesting question here from Hillary Scott uh, yeah. saying, we heard how the trigger tools used retrospectively to screen a sample of discharges and report adverse events, bed days. Is there experience using this at the bedside to screen live patients for current adverse events? So that sort of makes me think also about, you know, things related to uh, rapid response uh, screening as well. But anyone want to um, sort of address that, which is, uh, it's sort Sort of gets to your point, David. I think about sort of automation and EHR and sort of things happening in real time. But um, we're, we're also now also talking about you know patients as they're experiencing their care. Any thoughts on that? Sort of using the kind of trigger notion of things that you can see. 
Well, uh, I, I think uh, in real time you can identify patients who are actually having the event, uh, which has been accomplished as we've talked about, um, and hopefully that will be generalized uh, if policymakers build that into meaningful use requirements, which I hope they do. But there's another possibility here, which not every trigger leads to the identification of an adverse event. And it may be, uh, as we learn over time, that triggers may become risk predictors in patients that haven't had an adverse event event yet, uh, but might actually be on the path to getting one. And uh, that, I think, is one of the more exciting areas of triggers, which is uh, what if we could modify the triggers to be an at-risk predictor in patients before they get their adverse event? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's a very, very important point. And can you maybe illuminate you or Roger sort of what has gone on in terms of what we've learned about pediatrics? I hope I'm not putting you on the spot. You alluded to some of the studies. There is a question or two about that here. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, um, there are a group of us that have been working a lot in pediatrics. We've built a pediatric uh, uh, medication trigger tool. We've built a uh, NICU trigger tool, and we've now built a PICU trigger tool. And all those papers have been published, and I think we've 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 linked them to the IHI website, Madge. Um, and where we are going now is a pediatric global trigger tool, um, and that's the most exciting new development. And a group of hospitals through CHCA, the Child Healthcare Corporation of America, are moving ahead with uh, developing a pediatric global trigger tool, uh, uh, both the uh, paper version and um, uh, and an automated version as well. So I think that's an exciting development coming in pediatrics. Okay, thanks a lot. Matt? Uh, yes, go jump right in, please. This is Andrea. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't know if this is exactly in the same spirit of the question, but... Actually, Roger and David probably know more about it than I do, but there are places now that have safety huddles and safety briefings um, and real-time um, rounding with um, where they go around to all the patients in the unit and look for evidence of uh, safety problems, adverse events, or, or conditions that might lead to an adverse event and, and scour for them in advance. And... Um, that's the same spirit, I think, as the question about is there a real-time way to, to use a trigger tool. Thank you. That's great. Uh, that's great. And um, I'm curious, Kathy, as we've been asking sort of these general questions, you're, you're the one on our program today also who's kind of been on the front lines of seeing things as they've rolled out. I'm curious what you made of some of the kind of real-time uh, use here and whether that's sort of somewhere that OSF might be looking at more. Oh, absolutely, and and like I said earlier, that's why I was so excited about David's news of the automation because I think there's value um, in the real time to mitigate events while that patient is still in the hospital and also to capture more um more records, more cases, to be able to capture this information electronically. Now, you probably still need to review, I would think, I would imagine you still need to review um, for the actual event, but if you could at least capture the triggers electronically, that would save the reviewer a lot of time. Okay, thanks a lot. Uh, Good point. Mary is asking, uh, and I think a question that sort of goes to, you know, where we might be headed with policy uh, and all kinds of uh, other types of things. Carrots and sticks may be coming uh, out of uh, the administration. She's asking, has the trigger tool been tested enough to be recommended 
to HHS as part of the partnership to use for measurement and possibly even make payment decisions. I will say if you go to the uh, partnership website, you'll find that tool listed among some others. And it is not our intention today on this program uh, to really be uh, in, in any way advocating uh, any any single solution here. But I, uh, I would say that I will go back to David's comments earlier. David, you talked about sort of mounting evidence. And so I think the, the trick here is how do we take advantage of the best science here uh, as, as we move forward. Do you think there needs to be uh, even sharper and a greater consensus on both measurement uh, and harm rates going forward, sort of to some way begin to roll all this up into some consensus if it's even possible? <laughs> yeah, uh, Madge, I think it's a great question. And if you read the discussion of the health affairs article, we actually outline where all this might fit together in the evolving patient safety measurement system and that we might um, consider uh, uh, many ways to detect um, uh, patient safety problems, one being the global trigger tool, sort of a chart review methodology, especially if we can automate it. Another being the use of uh, screening of, uh, of administrative data, such as uh, the Utah, Missouri, and even an enhanced version of the ARC PSIs. And also uh, the use of a, another system has been developed but not much talked about, the Medicare Patient Safety Monitoring System, which uses a form of, uh, of, of trigger-based review to detect problems. So these all could be brought together, if you will, uh, going forward as a way to measure patient safety. I think what we do know is that measurements that focus on only the most severe events um, tend to miss most of what's going on. And Unfortunately, that's what a lot of hospitals do is they focus on only those most severe events because they're the easiest to detect, and then they build their patient safety measurement system around that, and they actually build their patient safety programs around that. And I think the lesson we've learned uh, not only with the Global Trigger Tool, but also now that we've automated it, is that's probably a very flawed way to go, and you may be, only a, you may be basing your whole patient safety strategy on just a couple percentage of all the adverse events that occur. So I think if you you read the discussion section from uh, the health affairs article, you'll see a, a, a potential way to move forward. I do think that policymakers uh, understand the limitations of, of the current methods. I hope we lead to a, a, a sort of a hybrid, a triangulation, if you will, of different methods that exist as we go forward. Uh, but I agree with Madge. We're, we're not here to advocate uh, for what tools should be used in the new HHS initiative. Well, it's evolving, and we hope that uh, today's conversation can contribute to that. I do want to mention just very, very quickly, in September, and there's information on uh, our website about this from September 22nd through the 28th, we're again uh, offering uh, our very, very important uh, patient safety executive development program, uh, very germane to what we're learning, because everything that we're talking about is something that all folks in this space, and patient safety officers in particular, uh, have to understand and help lead strategies for their organizations. So we do hope you'll uh, just take a peek at that program offering that's coming up this fall, and there's information about it right now on IHI.org. All right, let me just see what else has come in. Uh, has Kaiser published their data? I don't believe that's so, but uh, David, I'll put that one to you. 
uh, they have presented the project, but not we haven't finished analyzing the data yet, so uh, that, that's yet to come. But there have been some presentations on this, both at the ARC Patient Safety Meeting and at the IHI Forum that I think are up to be accessible. Okay. Here's an interesting question, and again, I know we're just about the top of the hour. Those of you who want to stick around for a few more minutes, we'll try and get through a couple more. How can harm rates from a global tool be compared to the select outcomes populations of the ARC PSIs as reported in the Health Affairs article? I hope that's not too granular. Uh, David, can you handle that one? Yeah, let me see that question. Okay. I know. it's. I, I read it aloud, and I don't know if that quite uh, is, is helpful enough. And maybe, Joe, well, uh, go uh, ahead. Uh, let me just come back to ARC. ARC has never said their PSIs uh, should be uh, a way to measure all of safety. Uh, but we put them in our study because they're commonly used by both hospitals, private rating agencies, and some government agencies to compare hospitals, and that's why we put them in the study. We also study a larger group of uh, administrative call codes called the Utah-Missouri um, codes, and there are many more codes than the ARC PSIs, and so uh, we weren't just studying the PSIs alone. We looked at a larger group called the Utah-Missouri, and that did a bit better than the ARC codes. So I think that as we go forward, there may be some role for administrative data uh, in measuring safety. But I think the message from our study is alone, it probably gives a very misleading view of how one's doing in safety. Um, and, and if it misses 90% of the events, then uh, uh, that probably would not be a reasonable strategy to measure the safety of the system. Uh, but once again, a disclaimer, ARC has never said its PSIs should be used to measure overall safety but the industry has been doing that. Okay, thank you so much. Very clear. I think I'd like to sort of offer each of you um, kind of a final word as we wrap up, and I think one of the things that's on my mind, I think in terms of as I, from my perch as I've watched the studies come out and um, organizations react in different ways, uh, some of whom have been making some very definite uh, progress in reducing hospital-acquired infections, central line infections, VAP, ventilator associated pneumonia, progress with MRSA, et cetera. And I guess maybe I'll just sort of put that out to the group as kind of an overall thing that we have got to sort of hold these different realities in view here, uh, that one, which nothing to take away from it, and something that is offering us uh, a, a fairly a, a complex and, you know, also equally real picture of a number of things that still need to be worked on. And I, I think at the very beginning when you talked about uh, medication uh, problems, I think everyone would say that continues to be an area uh, that perhaps has lagged behind some of the others. So with that, uh, you could say who asked me, but I, I decided to insert myself. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll go around the horn here and you can react to that or not, but maybe I'll invite you all to just say some final words. And Roger, I think I'll start with you. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. The, the hospitals are complex systems. Complex uh, systems are not easily uh, made safe by working on one or two areas. We know from the studies that we've done in hospitals who have worked in one area, we don't see those types of events in the global trigger tool analysis. On the other hand, there are a lot of other things going on. So the global trigger tool gives us a much more system perspective on the harm that is going on in the hospital. Okay, thanks so much. Kathy? Yes, um, 
I would have to agree with what Roger said, and that's why we've provided this rate, um, the two rates that I mentioned earlier, to our board. It may not be a perfect measure, but it is a measure, a consistent measure that we can track um, over time to provide them um, some idea. We have one board for all seven facilities, so to provide them some idea of where we are on our journey, on our safety journey. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Andrea. Well, I just wanted to add that um, I really want to applaud whatever you, everyone is already doing to make places safer, and I hope that this gives you some um, additional hope and fuel to, to power your efforts, um, because I just can't think of anything more important that you're doing besides doing your job. All right. Thanks so much. And David. Thanks, Andrea. And David? Yeah, I want to echo what Roger said. Uh, safety is a rapidly evolving science, and uh, I'm an infectious disease doc. I used to think that uh, nosocomial infections, only a small percentage of them could be prevented. Uh, but look what we've done with central line bloodstream infections. Uh, you know, we've prevented most of them now, and that's reflected in our global trigger tool studies. We don't see that many uh, central line infections anymore. Uh, we've also seen a marked reduction and ventilator-associated pneumonia infections. So I think the point is, if safety is a rapidly evolving science, I don't think we can have static views of what's preventable and only focus on those. Because in almost every area that we focus a lot of attention, we rapidly evolve our sense of preventability. Look what we've done with pressure ulcers. Uh, look what we've done with anticoagulation. Um, and so what I do think we need is a continuous monitoring to say, well, now we've solved the problem here in Central Line infections, we need to move here. And I think the lessons from all this is um, there are a lot of areas still left for improvement, and the only way you know that is by continuing to study uh, all-cause harm, if you will. It's the only way to know where your problems truly are. So uh, I want to thank everybody for coming. I hope it was helpful. And I think, Madge, at IHI, we're going to do much more of this. Oh, on yeah. Safety. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Uh, don't get sick of it, us yet because we'll be, <laughs> we'll be back. We're going to continue to learn and, I think, uh, learn from all of you. I really want to know what people thought of today's program, so I do invite you also to fill out the survey. Give us some thoughts. You can also email us at info at IHI.org. We'll, we'll keep track of uh, how the sciences is evolving, how the policies are evolving, and I want to thank each of our guests today for bringing their smarts and wisdom and frontline experience to this. It's it's vital. Next up on WIHI, April 21st, that's next week, we're going to be looking at palliative care equals quality care, and I've got a great uh, group of guests, including the author, uh, Dr. Jennifer Temmel, Jennifer Temmel, I should say, uh, who, pub- who is the lead author on a very, very important study on the benefits of palliative care in the outpatient setting, and that was published uh, last August, and I do hope uh, you'll join us. You can enroll right now on the website. I also want to just invite you to check out the archive tomorrow morning. Uh, you'll see an arc, a recording of this program. Uh, you can download it. You can find it on iTunes, and you can also be reminded of all the resources we mentioned today. When you log off the program today, if you're still on the computer, you can download the chat. You can download the slides. If you want the chat you and you weren't on the computer, you can email us at info at IHI.com. 
org. The people who make this program possible, they work very hard with me, too. Mike Sweeney, Jesse McCall, Alan Olison, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, Matt Morse, and Vicki Minden. And we've got this uh, neat music that opens and closes the program. Original arrangements by Aaron Flanders on guitar and Miguel Sapasoa on piano. And I love saying Miguel Sapasoa on piano. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care, most of all, for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Thanks for your active participation and learning with us. Good day.